Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. I'm Farah Nazrali, and I'm so delighted and happy to be here with Jamal Rahman. Thank you. He is an Islamic author and speaker. He speaks on Islam, Sufi spirituality, and interfaith relations. He's the author of numerous books, one of which is one of my favorites. It's The Fragrance of Faith. And we're here today to talk about one of his books called Sacred Laughter of the Sufis, Awakening the Soul Through the Mullah's Cosmic Teachings. So before we begin to talk a little bit about laughter and its role in Sufi spirituality, for people who might not be aware of the Sufi path of spirituality, how would you describe a Sufi and the Sufi path? Essentially, uh, Sufism, and this is a big misunderstanding, people think it's a denomination within Islam. Islam has two main denominations, the Sunni and Shia. Uh, Sufism is not a denomination. It's simply an aspiration of the heart and mind to live the spirit of the tradition and not get too enmeshed in uh, rituals or theology. Uh, that is the essence of uh, Sufism. So I'll give an example. Uh, some very conservative um, clerics will say that if you don't do your prayers, five obligatory prayers, you will burn in hell. Uh, Sufis will say, yes, you must do your prayers. And remember that when you do a prayer, it is as if you're attending a celestial banquet. And if you don't pray, you're simply missing out on that party, as it were. So a different approach Sufis will take. And in terms of the spirit and essence of Islam, how would you describe what the spirit and essence of the Islamic faith is? You know, uh, literally, uh, Islam means to surrender in peace. But the important question is, what are you surrendering? And if someone who studied the Quran will realize that what God is saying is that uh, if you want to find joy, fulfillment in life, you have to surrender in peace your attachment to your ego, to the little self, the false self, so that, as the Quran says, you can bring a heart turned in devotion to God. That, for me, is the essence of Islam. And, uh, you know, this is a great segue into laughter and the cosmic joke. Um, you know, how can we use laughter to really um, break open the heart and really get past the ego, which often obscures our perception and relationship? Yes. Well, you know, um, uh, it is through laughter that many profound truths uh, are conveyed. Uh, for example, you know, uh, people are very scared of the day of judgment. So the, the mullah, who's a fictional character through humor, will say on the day of judgment, oh God, 
why are you asking me all these questions? You know who I am. You created me. So I tell you what, God, uh, plead and advocate on my behalf with yourself. That's a form of humor, you see, <laughs> to, to really uh, drive home the point. Don't get so scared about the day of judgment. God is very, very uh, merciful. Uh, and, you know, there's a wonderful 14th century. I know, you know, Hafiz from uh, Persia, Iran, who says, you know, what is this love and laughter bubbling up from within me? He says, listen to my answer. It's the sound of a soul waking up. <laughs> so for me, if a person is really uh, on the path of enlightenment, uh, I look for two things. One is that person is compassionate. Uh, and number two, that person uh, really laughs a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it would seem that, you know, there are some times in spiritual communities or spiritual practices, a, a real sense of seriousness yeah. Um, yeah. that I think is required in terms of dedication and discipline. Yeah. So how is it possible to balance that with a sense of levity and a sense of joyfulness that comes through laughter? You know, that's a really a path of life where you have to be in balance with joys and with sorrows. Uh, when they're happy times, you know, you embrace the happy times and really from the heart feel it. Uh, when they're sad times, uh, as the Islamic mystics say, you know, just uh, embrace the sadness. Uh, in fact, let me quote uh, Carl Jung, who studied many Eastern traditions. He would say, would you once in your life have the courage and grace to kiss the demons and dragons within you? That is how they turn into a prince or princess. So don't run towards uh, pain and suffering. Just don't run away from it. Know that, as the Quran says, it is a verse in the Quran that says, Allah says, of everything we have created, we have created opposites. So you might know only Allah is one. So accept the fact that in this life, there are joys and there are sorrows. And you know this joyous because you've also experienced sorrow. The sugar is sweet in contrast to vinegar. Gumi says, we have turned you from one feeling to another. So you might have two wings to fly, not one. We need both, but in balance. It seems that really what's underlying that is an acceptance of, of all of life in all its multitude of expressions, um, not just grasping onto um, positive or, or um, ones that are pleasurable, but really embracing all of life. Absolutely. To be able to be um, uh, aware that... Um, because it's a world of opposites, opposites will happen in your life. And can I just be open to accepting it all? And that is what makes me what in Islam is called insane kamil, uh, which means a more perfect, a more developed human being. I accept my joys, but I also accept my sorrows. And I really, I, as I said, don't run towards it, but I embrace it uh, and allow that to be held by me and allow that to be integrated by me so that, for example, if I'm feeling a lot of sorrow, and if I embrace that also, my sorrow can become transformed into greater empathy. If I do the spiritual practice of embracing my anger, uh, through a lot of different practices, my anger becomes transformed into maybe a, a greater enthusiasm for life. 
So may I just be accepting and be grateful uh, to God. Can I tell you a, a mullah story about gratitude? I would love to hear one. Uh, it's a very classical story. Uh, the mullah has lost his donkey. That's a big deal in our part of the world. So the entire village tries to find the donkey. They cannot find the donkey. The donkey is lost forever. They come in the evening to give mullah the bad news. Well, where's the mullah? He's on his knees saying, Allah, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful. They say, Mullah, you haven't heard the bad news. Your donkey is lost forever. He says, I know, I know, I know, but I'm so grateful because imagine what could have happened to me if I was on the donkey. <laughs> this is actually, a lot, you know, every Mullah story has a lot of uh, layers of meaning. One layer of meaning is even in times of affliction, difficulties, if I, if I can still be grateful, uh, as all the sages say, I'm giving thanks for unknown blessings already on their way. So I'll be open-hearted and accepting. So one thing that I would love to um, have humor about and have laughter about in a way that still acknowledges the, the seriousness of the situation is the state of the world, the yes. state of the climate, the um, political leaders that are on the stage in the world right now, how can we um, develop an attitude that's really reverent and yet acknowledges the, the, um, the reality of the world? You know, uh, it is an individual choice we have, uh, each one of us. And I think it is incumbent on me rather than preach to other people, just live a life where it's in balance, where I am doing what is called the inconvenient inner work. If I do the work of transferring my ego, opening up my heart, then that by itself is good enough, actually. And I don't have to preach too much to tell others to change. I do the work myself. And just my presence will create that that wonderful radiating of compassion and love. There's a wonderful author uh, who wrote this book, uh, Dao De Ching, Lao Tzu. Uh, by the way, that book, they say, has sold more than any other book. It's a very small book. Uh, in that, he has a verse that says, compassionate towards yourself. Compassionate towards yourself, you reconcile all beings in the world. If I want peace in the Middle East, if I want peace in, uh, uh, say, in, in Kashmir, in, in India, the first step and the most important step is, can I practice and live compassion for myself? Compassion towards yourself, you reconcile all beings in the world. I want to say one more thing, if I could. There's a wonderful spiritual insight if I find somebody doing terrible things, can I, in my heart, out of compassionate awareness, make a discernment, a distinction in my mind between behavior and being? I'm against that person's behavior. I'm not against that person's essence or being, that pers person's divinity. There's a wonderful mystic in, um, from India, Kabir, uh, who says, when you meet an adversary, somebody doing something terrible, an enemy, 
do what is right. Protect yourself. Don't allow yourself to be abused. But I beg you, as you take the right action, do not keep this person's essence or being out of your heart. So if I take the right action by keeping this discernment in my heart and mind, just this discernment between behavior and being, this has the power, they say, to shift heaven and earth. It is incumbent on me to do that work. So really the essence is for us to do our own inner work and be, um, be an example Absolutely. that can um, shift, shift our perspective and, and create the shift in the world that's needed. Absolutely. See, if I'm not at peace, if I'm not practicing love, compassion, justice with members of my own family, but I'm screaming about injustice here and there, you know, that there's a big discord right there. If I can really practice peace with myself, compassion, love with myself, uh, it'll lead to peace and compassion with my members of my family, my community, my society. That is the root. That is the essence you might say. You know, Ruby has this wonderful verse. You are a ruby in the midst of granite. How long will you continue to deceive us? We can look, we can see the look in your eyes. So please return to the root of the root of your real self. That's the real work. So, you know, so much of what you said has been um, sayings of of saints or prophets or authors. Um, yes. And I know that there's also lots of teaching stories right. that are part of your book and that you probably want to share with us today. So yes. tell us a little bit about the value of stories and the multi-layeredness and, and how they have really conveyed the messages that you think are needed in, in the world today. You know, for example, uh, one big example I'll give you is, uh, we are stuck in patterns of behavior. Uh, and how will I ever get out of this stuck pattern unless I allow myself to witness myself with compassion? And here's the beauty of Mullah stories, who gives himself the privilege of looking at himself and laughing at himself. So for example, I'm blaming banks and corporations for the terrible things they're doing. But if I become aware, I have my accounts with those banks. It's my dollars that is supporting that, you see. I'm stuck in those patterns. Unless I change my behavior, how will I expect that to be changed? So here's a story, a very flame, a wonderful story of the mullah goes to work. At lunchtime, opens his lunch pail box. What does he find? A cheese sandwich. Second day, third day, fourth day, it's always a lousy cheese sandwich. On the 10th day, he says, I'm getting sick and tired of this lousy cheese sandwich. So his puzzled co-worker said, Mullah, why don't you ask your wife, be persuasive, to make you a different kind of sandwich? I'm not married. Who makes them? I do. <laughs> so it is that stories like that that make us aware of, you know, of our foibles, of our stuck patterns. Another one is, you know, uh, we are so slavishly dependent on pundits and experts. What I say right now, is it what I really believe and live? Or you know, I'm quoting Rumi, I'm quoting the Quran, I'm quoting Tao Te Ching. But in a way, I am biased in my things that I say. 
I'm slavishly dependent on pundits and experts. I read the New York Times, you know, I read certain papers that forms my judgment. So the story is of uh, uh, the mullah who's very, very ill, grievously ill. Everybody's lamenting and his wife is uh, weeping and crying. And now here comes the expert. Who's the expert? The allopathic medical doctor who examines the mullah at length and uh, turns to the mullah's wife and says, oh, honorable wife of the mullah, your husband is no more. His soul has flown to the bosom of God. Only Allah is immortal. But the mullah is not dead. He's feebly saying, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. What does the wife say? Quiet. Don't argue with the doctor. <laughs> we are so entranced by those pundits and authorities and experts. We lose our connection with our inner teacher, as an example. And how do you restore that connection, you know, amongst the um, maybe mind chatter that people have or amongst the habits that we have? How do we differentiate the inner teacher from all the other layers that have accumulated in ourselves? You know, by uh, doing that inner inconvenient work, by living the truths we believe we have attained, uh, and most important, learning from our mistakes. That's the path of enlightenment. You know, there is no perfect right way. The right way is I attain a certain level of consciousness. I live it. I am compassionate with myself. I differentiate between my personality and my divine spark. When I made a mistake, I learn from that. That's one. The other one is, uh, can I create authentic community? What Rumi says, you know, come out of the circle of time and to the circle of love. It is that authentic community, if it is authentic, if the members are loving, there is trust, there's an aspiration for truth, those are the three gateways. If that is there in my life, then they will honestly tell me, you know, this is some error you have made, this is some advice we can give you. They will respond to you in ways that are loving and yet truthful. So my inner work with myself, learning from my mistakes, and my creation of the circle of love. So um, honesty is such an important part of our inner work, is, is having honest feedback from people around us who might show us our blind spots, being honest with ourselves. And when you say inner work, can you elaborate on specifically what you're referring to by the inconvenient inner work? Right. Uh, two things, really. Uh, one is called transforming the ego. Uh, and the other one is opening up my heart. So uh, in the short time, I can tell you the work is uh, what the Quran calls the nafs and the three stages. And the, the overall work is can I transform my nafs, my ego, which is like a commanding master, can I transform that commanding master into a personal assistant? So in Islam, the three levels is that when you become aware of your personality, it begins to dominate you. And your work is to transform that into a personal assistant. How? By compassionate self-witnessing. Someone asked the Prophet Muhammad, how do you do this work? He said two things. One is know thyself and you shall know thy sustainer. Shine the light of awareness on you. 
Become aware of your key sandwich patterns, your excuses, the lies you say. It's okay. That's your personality. That's not the real you. Make the changes. The other thing he said was, <coughs> excuse me, die before you die. Through the process of self-compassion, self-witnessing, die to all that is false within you. And do it, the Quran says, little by little. If you do it little by little, there comes a big there comes a time, there's a big quantum jump. You make a big progress. But the big progress doesn't happen until you do the little by little. So those are, those are uh, two things. Know thyself. You shall know thy sustainer. Die before you die. The third one is, the Quran says again and again, open your heart. Open your heart. The heart is mentioned 132 times uh, in the Quran. Many ways to open up the heart, but the most important way is, can I embrace not only my 10,000 joys of life, as we discussed earlier, can I also embrace my 10,000 sorrows of life? And don't run towards pain and so sorrow, just don't run away from it. You know, Rumi has a wonderful uh, verse about this. He says about the heart, take a pickaxe and break open your stony heart. The heart's matrix is glutted with rubies. Springs of laughter are buried in your chest. So you have to summarize everything. The goal is this inner inconvenient work is Jamal becoming a more complete human being. Uh, if I have to summarize it through verses, uh, the great mystics say, Jamal, marry your soul. Align your personality to your higher self. Every hour, every day, every uh, week, every month, become aware of yourself and make that alignment of your personality to your higher self. What is your personality? I'll quote the Buddha. The Buddha says the personality is nothing more than a bundle of conditioned reactions to life's circumstances. It is me, but I'm also the divine spark, the ruby in the midst of granite, can I align the elements of my personality with my soul? That is putting it very simply and very clearly. If I do that, that's enough. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm really um, excited to dive a little bit more into your book. Tell yeah. us a little bit about what inspired you to write a book about laughter. Yes. And... and, and cosmic teachings that really awaken us in that, in that way. You know, uh, let me start by saying the mullah, even in death, he always has teachings of laughter. Uh, I, I'm told that there are many grave sites of the mullah. Uh, because he's fictional, you know, the mullah is a fictional character. He's, you might say, a sage and a, and, and a village idiot rolled into one. So there's one grave site in, in Turkey, I'm told, uh, it's a grand tomb. As you approach the tomb, uh, there is a large forbidding door and the chains and padlocks all around it, but there are no walls around that, you see? And there's an inscription by the mullah, and this is where laughter comes in. And the inscription says, it's a serious inscription. Uh, it's an inscription by Rumi that says, uh, no matter how many titles you acquire, uh, how much riches you accumulate, the thief will come from the unguarded side. Therefore, focus on that 
which can never be stolen. Love, compassion, uh, justice, laughter. And laughter is very key because the truth is, we have no idea who we are. We have no idea why we are here. We have no idea what we're doing here. We have no idea, you know, I've reached an age where it's the last quarter of my life, but where am I going? These are all serious questions. All we can do is just laugh at it, you see? Laugh about it. And the laughter is, you know, the mullah laughter is, you know, Jamal, when you die, you go over to the other side. And from the other side, from those mysterious realms, you look at your life, at all your dramas and melodramas. There you would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. The mullah says, why wait? Why do you laugh just now? <laughs> and through laughter, we're able to create those changes within ourselves. We realize that it's just my personality I'm stuck in. It's not the real me. It's not my Christ nature, Buddha nature, Allah nature, uh, Krishna nature, Elohim nature. It is just my personality. But through laughter, I'm able to realize, laugh at myself and remove those veils between, you know, my personality veil and the real me. Remove those veils in between. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and how does laughter connect us to, to God? Well, you know, uh, like I, I quoted the first uh, verse by Hafiz, uh, what is this laughter within you? It's the sound of a soul waking up. I think God knows that everything is really very, very funny. <laughs> and when we laugh, we attain that level of connection with God's laughter. And God's laughter is a very compassionate one. There's a mullah story of, uh, you know, again, many levels of meaning. But the mullah is in the tavern. And there's a lot of meaning of tavern. He's drinking and drinking and drinking. It's four in the morning. He's intoxicated. He stumbles out. He's walking aimlessly in the street. And a policeman accosts him and says, Sir, who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? And the mullah says, Sir, if I knew the answer to all those questions, I would be home already. <laughs> So these are deep questions, you know, and the only answer is laughter because our mind is too limited in understanding that. And when we laugh, we, we feel that connection with the laughter of God and the laughter of God is filled with love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And certainly the, um, we all need more laughter in our lives. Absolutely. Uh, it's Absolutely. such a connector. Um, it it's so nice when uh, people can laugh together, people with different political views or different ideologies or different faiths can laugh together. It really does connect. It is. When, if we, once we realize uh, what we are fighting about is sometimes so trivial, uh, our souls are, are laughing about it continuously. Uh, you know, we fight about uh, definitions of God, you know, uh, one God, Trinity, uh, idols, uh, you know, gods and goddesses. But what do we know about God? You see, uh, if you really reach that level of realization that we know so little about God, and yet we talk so much about it, and we fight so much about it, we 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 debate, we argue, we even kill for our beliefs. The truth is, none of us know. 
what God is. Yet, we do all these things. So when we laugh about it, it's a realization that, uh, as Rumi says, sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. All we can do is be, be, be bewildered and laugh and laugh and laugh because none of us have the answers. But here we are fighting about it. Mm -hmm. It's been such a joy, really such a joy to hear the stories that you have to share and to really understand more about the heart of Islam and the Sufi path and the universal uh, teachings that you shared with with me and hopefully with the listeners and viewers today. Thank you so much for your graciousness and generosity, Farah. Is there any final words you'd like to say to inspire people to um, pick up one of your books or come to one of your talks or um, l watch some of your videos online? Thank you. I, I, I would, uh, of course, I'm being a propagandist here. Uh, please, Look into that book, Sacred Laughter of the Sufis, and just uh, allow yourself to just laugh and laugh uh, because it really is the best medicine. It, it really is the best way to gain insights into yourself and to the world. I think by through laughing, I think our awareness expands and we move, as uh, the Islamic mystics say, through laughter, we move from a knowledge of the tongue to a knowledge of the heart. So yes, let's all of us laugh. I, I think there's a wonderful saying that uh, a day is not complete unless we have laughed that particular day. Make it <laughs> It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much and look forward to um, the next time we can laugh and, and be together. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.